My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. John the Baptist appeared in the desert, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. People of the whole Judean countryside and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. John was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He fed on locusts and wild honey. And this is what he proclaimed. One mightier than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop and loosen the thongs of his sandals. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of the Lord. In the aftermath of the Vietnam War, United States Navy Commander James Stockdale shared some of his experiences being one of the 591 prisoners of war who had endured that horrendous ordeal and were able to live to tell about it. As he was awarded the Medal of Honor, he was asked what enabled him and his fellow officers and Marines and soldiers to make it out alive. Surprisingly, he said it wasn't whether someone was injured or not, how well physically conditioned they were. It wasn't even a person's age or their experience or their training that made the difference. The ones who didn't make it according to Stockdale, were the ones he described as the optimists. He explained that these were the individuals that when they were first captured, believed they were going to be home by Christmas. They would keep telling themselves that, cling to that hope, sometimes because their guards or their torturers would tell them that, sometimes because they had manufactured that belief among themselves as something to hold on to. And when that didn't happen, they changed it to they would be out by Easter. When that didn't happen either, then they said the 4th of July, then Thanksgiving, then Christmas again. Commander Stockdale believed that the ones who didn't survive kept getting on this roller coaster of emotions that kept crashing down. And they would find themselves waking up each morning in this cramped, sweltering cell for months or years after they were certain it would all be over, shattering their endurance 
and ultimately their, their will to live. Commander Stockdale would summarize it sadly and succinctly, I think they all died of a broken heart. That story came to mind just thinking about the reality of where so many people seem to be right now. Our daily news feeds and streams of information give a wide variety of extremes in headlines. COVID cases are increasing. Vaccines are 95% effective, could be ready by Christmas. Hospitals fear for the worst. Officials say there's no reason for kids not to be in school. The numbers of friends and relatives and students and parishioners who have been deeply affected in experiencing these roller coasters themselves has been troubling and worrying. That's why a couple of weeks ago on my social media, I started pushing a, a faith over fear initiative, basically trying to encourage people not to give into fear mongering or let pessimistic headlines to affect their hearts and their spirits, especially since oftentimes those things are not about giving any information, but there are manipulations either to get you to tune into their, their television broadcasts nonstop or possibly a, even as a control mechanism. And in its place, I was trying to post some inspirational quotes from saints or, or from scripture. And even that turned into something controversial, where people seemed hell-bent, phrased, deliberately chosen, to chime in nonstop with whatever talking point they felt was more urgent. So, for example, I posted something like this quote from St. Padre Pio saying, don't spend your energies on things that generate worry, anxiety, and anguish. Only one thing is necessary. Lift up your spirit and love God. To that, someone responded, wear a mask. I foolishly asked, and when did I say not to? And what does it have to do with telling people not to put so much energy into fear and to focus more on messages of faith? which obviously turned into an avalanche of responses, none of which had anything to do with that initial quote. Italian frustration aside, it demonstrated on a, on a personal level things that we've probably heard and seen for some time. There's an ever-growing number of people who've lost their faith in God, their belief that God loves and cares for us. And I'm not sure if that's because they never knew him or were given a false image of who God is or what he promises us. But for people who, who struggle to believe or reject God outright, it seems that they lump expressions of faith and hope with what Commander Stockdale described as optimism. They see it as peddling some feel-goodisms that will let people down, and worse yet, encourage reckless, irresponsible behaviors. Yet there's really an important distinction that needs to be made. What the commander was really railing against was false optimism, or false hope, which is indeed something that needs to be rejected outright because of the danger that it can do to someone spiritually, emotionally, and even physically. 
But we need to differentiate those things. What are the sources of our optimism? What voices are we listening to? Are they worthy of our attention? Are they saying things we simply want to hear or need to hear? What's the basis of their statements? What's their motivation? Are they trustworthy? Those are all just basic questions that we have to ask when determining the authenticity of what's being presented to us, what's being said. So as Catholic Christians, for example, we don't share inspirational quotes from St. Padre Pio to portray a fake-it-till-you-make-it mentality maybe out of context to someone who doesn't believe in Jesus or our Catholic Christian tradition and doesn't know who this great saint is, it might seem that way or sound that way. But if they take a moment to learn about who St. Padre Pio was, this priest of the 20th century from Italy who suffered physical illness and limitations his entire life, who lived during both world wars and the Great Depression, who had every reason in the world to be negative, pessimistic, and was quite the opposite. He not only endured and survived, but he became a sign of contradiction to all those legitimate fears and everyday realities that others were suffering themselves. He grew in holiness. And the legitimacy of his hope became a comfort and a strength and an inspiration to others in his own day and time and to countless others generations later. That's why we quote him. And we know that it doesn't come just from him. He's not some life coach or some motivational speaker just trying to give people a pep talk. He had experienced legitimate life reality. But he found his hope born of a faith that stems thousands of years, a faith that speaks to the waywardness and trials of humanity that's broken, that still wrestles with the original sin where we want to believe that we're God and we're in control of everything rather than created by him and dependent upon him. A faith that speaks of a God who knows and loves us and how he is constantly reaching out to his creation of his to come and know and love and experience him. And this is one of the great gifts of this season of Advent, this season of hope that's based on the truth that God comes to his people. In the first reading, the prophet is called by God to speak his word to Isaiah's fellow Jews. They had been devastated by the Babylonians. They had been exiled. They had been enslaved. And after generations, God was calling them back to their homeland. But they were scared. They had gotten to a place of acceptance of their lot. They didn't want to get their hopes up. Better to remain pessimistic, just deal with this less than ideal reality than to start to think anything good could possibly ever happen again. Be disappointed and then be in worse shape than when they started. Yet the God of Israel, who had formed them, 
and chose them is worthy of trust. God tells Isaiah that these words need to be proclaimed and received and believed. And the Lord says, comfort to my people. Her service is at an end. Her guilt is expiated. God had not forgotten them. He was not ignorant of what they had suffered, which was a result of their own sins, by the way. But he still loved them. He still cared for them. And so the prophet tells them, wake up, shake off your doubts, shake off your fears, prepare the way of the Lord. This isn't a work that they're going to accomplish on their own. They couldn't if they wanted to on their own strength. But if they trust and they believe, every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill will be made low, The rugged land will be made a plain, the rough country a broad valley, and then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. They didn't see a way. They didn't know how that was ever going to happen. But despite all they had suffered, somewhere in their heart, they knew God. And they knew he was worthy of their trust and their belief. And so they did. They dared to believe when Isaiah cried, here is your God. They dared to hear these promises. Here comes with power the Lord God who rules his strong arm. They dared to have hope that like a shepherd, he feeds his flock in his arms. He gathers the lambs, carrying them in his bosom. And in so doing, they experience the the true freedom of being God's chosen people once again. That historical experience foreshadowed what Jesus would offer to all humanity for all time. The opportunity for every one of God's creation to be chosen, more than chosen, to become his adopted sons and daughters. And that's why St. Mark begins the gospel not with the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, but with the proclamation of John the Baptist. John's not found in the temple or a public square, but in the desert, in the wilderness, preaching to people who once again had grown fearful by intimidating mountains and vast valleys and rugged terrains that they were traveling through life. They'd allowed all these life experiences, all these trials that they had encountered, all these sins that they had committed to once again cause this distance from God in their lives. On top of that, they were once again enslaved. They were once again living a limited, diminished existence under Roman rule and Jewish leaders' incompetency, complacency, and infighting. And to that scene, John the Baptist enters as the final prophetic voice announcing the fullness of salvation that was coming. The Messiah will arrive. He will restore the people once and for all with his passion, death, and resurrection. And those who follow him who enter into that passion, death, and resurrection in the waters of baptism, those who receive the risen Jesus, 
who is as real and present in that Eucharistic host we received from that altar as he was in that manger or on that countryside in Judea some 2,000 years ago. They have that promise of new life. They have forgiveness of sins. They have the healing that surpasses any trial or any tribulation that they can endure here and now. When we see that and claim that as our destiny, when we recognize that as our present, that's how our faith is greater than fear. That's when our hope and our optimism is based not on denying reality, not ignoring trials and difficulties that we're enduring, or saying, just pray and it's all going to go away. It's much deeper than that. We realize that God has already saved us. And in that, we have nothing to fear. Because there is nothing that can touch that, our true identity, as God's beloved sons and daughters.